Happy March Madness, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to another edition of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. My name is Bryant Ott from whiteandbluereview.com, and joining me tonight, as always, is the venerable Matt DeMarinas. Matt, you are back from an eight-day trip, Milwaukee, New York City, and your reward, my friend, is more basketball, both the men's and women's teams from Creighton qualifying for their respective NCAA tournaments. Welcome back to town. Take a deep breath, and how excited are you for March Madness this week? Yeah, let's get it rolling, man. Um, I mean, it's too bad that this is essentially turned into a Rhode Island Sweet 16 special tonight, but I mean, you know. Yeah, I heard they're going to advance uh, just without playing, and because it's <laughs> their first time in the NCAA tournament in so long, and they and they beat VCU a couple times toward the end of the year. I heard that they're just like booking their tickets for the Sweet 16, which is, I mean, congrats to them. That's a big mm-hmm. accomplishment, you know. Yeah, great for Rhode Island. I mean, I thought all year I thought Villanova was a really good team. Like I thought Virginia was like kind of the team in that state too. But right. you know, apparently VCU once you beat them a couple times, you know, you're pretty much penciled in in the Sweet 16 regardless of matchup. So yeah, congrats to the Rhode Island Rams. You know, and big have win, fun this big, week. Have fun this weekend, just beating wholesale ass, I guess. Big uh, presumed uh, weekend already for the Rhode Island Rams. Obviously, we're being facetious. <laughs> Obviously, we're tired. One of us is probably a little bit hungover still from New York. My throat is eh, okay, so that works. But um, you know, ever since the selection show happened about. Uh, a little bit more than 48 hours ago, it's been nothing but nonstop Rhode Island uh, love fest from all of the national pundits. I mean, I have, I really yet, Matt, have yet to see uh, someone on the worldwide leader or elsewhere um, have the Jays penciled in going past their their uh, the first round game as the sixth seed facing off against the 11 seed Rhode Island Rams in Sacramento on Friday. So. I think uh, uh, I think Seth Davis had Steph Curry fill out a bracket, and he's got Creighton in the Elite Eight. He's the only so he's the only one I've seen so far that has Creighton getting past this this vaunted Rhode Island team so far. But uh, I don't. Maybe he doesn't know who they're playing. Maybe if he was told they're playing Rhode Island, maybe he look, overlooked it or something. Or he's like, oh, you mean that Rhode Island team that is really <laughs> great and has played BCU tough? Yeah. Uh, I know. You know. Whatever. It's crazy. It's, Is it it's crazy? Just... I thought when I saw the matchup, like I thought, I thought Rhode Island for sure is better than eleven, and Creighton, like at full strength, is obviously better than a six. But I thought that was like you know Creighton at a six was fine for what they currently are. I mean, I thought yeah. Rhode Island was a little under, a little under, or a little underseated. But I was like, you know, a coin toss game that Creighton should be maybe a slight favorite in if you have to choose a favorite. And then it's like, and then ever since then, it's been like, nope. Don't play. Roll through that. And then, you know what? Oregon doesn't have Boucher. They're going to roll through them. Like, it's going to be Rhode Island rule on Sacramento. Like, I just have, like, they're not even like, there's not even like a breakdown of the Creighton Rhode Island match. It's just like, it's just Rhode Island going on. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's the obvious choice, like a 116 matchup. Well, and is how it's being like chosen. And the only time I saw anybody try to break it down, Gary Parrish reminded us that we don't have Edmund <laughs> Sumner. So it's like maybe Steph is, Curry knows more than these guys. You know what I mean? Which is true. We don't. We don't. Creighton doesn't have Edmund Sumner. But we did so a really I mean, good job all season without Edmund Sumner. Yeah, because we I mean, never had him. 
Yeah, Creighton won a bunch of games with Edmund Summer this year, so I don't <sighs> think it didn't really affect him. Yeah, yeah isn't yeah. it? I, I, I think it's like it has to be. I tweeted this out, but I swear I think it's like this, like the national media, like trying to, like have a self-fulfilling prophecy because every, when Maurice went down, uh, with the torn ACL, Maurice Sumner, yeah, Maurice Sumner, Edmund Watson <laughs> Jr. Uh, I, would take, I would take each of their good legs, put them together, and right? We'd be okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when when he went down, it was like, yeah, Creighton. Oh, there goes the dream season. They might even make. Some of the like Gary Parish was a guy who was, didn't even think Creighton might make the NCAA tournament in the first place. Right. But, like I feel like a lot of these guys are just like, you know, running with that narrative to the finish line here, and they're waiting to say, "I told you so." And it's like, yep, Rhode Island's going to take them, smack them around, be tougher, and you know, and which might well, happen. They very mel. Yeah, they very well might do that. But I think right. you know, given a little bit of equal play to the other team that has had a really successful year just you know falling short of putting together their best game against Villanova notwithstanding they won two really tough physical games in the Big East tournament um you know nothing against the A-10 or whatever but that's not a comparable league at this point so I mean it's not even close and uh Nebraska would have been like a three seed in the A-10 come on it's crazy what about DePaul I feel like we need to get DePaul in there. <laughs> DePaul would have been like DePaul would have got a first round by in the. A-10. How about DePaul women's team getting a oh, seven? Wow. How yeah. terrible of a seed is that? I don't that one to me, especially with like Jessica January back, like yeah. they're full strength now. Yeah, yeah, they uh the, the NCAA selection committee just kind of dropped a nuclear bomb on Starkville, <laughs> Mississippi, and they have no like they have no idea what's about to happen. Doug to Bruno team, is right? about to become mayor of that town. Oh my god, it's gonna be insane. I don't know how like Marquette at a five, I saw that and I was like, Okay. They loved their non conference wins over Oregon State, Arizona State. They loved the three wins over DePaul, even yeah. though two of them didn't have Jessica January. And it's like I get it. They got the quality they got the sexy wins or whatever, but it's sexy like from a wins. from yeah. a resume standpoint, Marquette finished three full games behind Creighton and DePaul. Like Yeah. I know. Like in I the was there. three full like it wasn't like loopholes and tiebreakers. It was like Marquette had no shot to even uh get a top two seed in the last two weeks of the season. Like Creighton and DePaul had the thing wrapped up. And it's like and then they won their conference tournament on their home court, which was like predetermined <laughs> before right. the season that they was playing in Milwaukee. So like they kinda like got a lucky draw there, you know. And they win two single-digit games at home in a hostile environment over DePaul and Creighton, like five seed. And they got a five seed. And I was like, okay, but they were they were on the board first. So I was like, all right, if Marquette's a five, you know, Creighton and DePaul are in that like six to high seven range for sure. And then Creighton got a seven, and it was like, that's fine. You know, Creighton was uh, either in the six to seven range, and a seven in Corvallis was certainly better than an eight in stores. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which if you saw Syracuse's reaction uh, or lack thereof <laughs> or, or complete like they were sitting at a funeral like hey congratulations you're in the tournament and you're going to UConn that was amazing uh, and they acted cool. like I, I legitimately watching that selection show Carol uh, Carol Lawson she was like oh they must not be able like there must be a technical diff- no there was no technical difficulty yeah. there they were None just bummed out yep straight bummed out that they know what that means yeah yeah, and then yeah, and then so we're then DePaul pops up as like a you know the seven seed in Starkville, and it's like you're sending them to Starkville 
when they first of all they had an outside chance to host based on their resume, like yeah. So not only are they not a top sixteen seed, which they were a couple times when the committee released like four different, <laughs> like, four different uh, top sixteen seeds or whatever throughout the year. Yeah. Like, this little election committee, and DePaul was in two of them, and then somehow with a loss to Marquette, a five they go down, seed, they go down to a seven. Yeah, right. like that didn't make. Oh yeah, so DePaul at full strength is about to. Yeah, they're about to dominate the South right now. Like, and I, I, I have full confidence they're going to the Sweet Sixteen now because they're going to be pissed. I like that. I like that. Um, let's touch on the last. So the last time you and I talked, it was Friday afternoon in New York City. We were a couple hours away from what would turn out to be um, kind of Marcus Foster's Creighton moment. Mm-hmm. You could argue best moment for him uh, in his college career so far. I know he's had a couple of game winners at K sure. State and stuff, but in terms of the stakes, in terms of um, you the know, stage. The stage. Yep. Uh, I I heard that Madison Square Garner Garden is the world's most famous arena. I heard that like at least once, or maybe like twenty five times this weekend in New York. But it um, feels like it though, doesn't it? Oh, when you're there, like it's amazing. Yep. And I mean, I the thing every person I talk to, they're like, oh yeah, what's about whole about like twenty one, twenty two thousand. No hoops. It's like what nineteen one eighty five or something like that is is a sellout. I mean, it's really not yeah. all that bigger than CenturyLink Center in terms of total uh, capacity. But man, that building is just fantastic. The way it's set yep. up, it feels like the big time. You can't help but look around the rafters at the banners, both for the Knicks and the Rangers too. Um, and it's just everything that happened this weekend in New York was punctuated, I feel like, by Marcus Foster hitting the game-winning three-pointer against Xavier to take the rubber match between those two teams to give the Blue Jays their second appearance in a Big East tournament championship game since joining the conference in 2013-2014. And it really gave Jays fans who made that trip and Jays fans, frankly, at home that have been looking for a bright spot here the last, you know, since MLK Day, it really gave mm-hmm. him something to to rally around. So, first, I want to start with. Uh, I need to stop talking because my throat's still recovering from the trip down <laughs> to New York City. Need, but need, um, need to hand it off real quick. Yeah, w- we talked a lot before that game about the type of game that was going to be. Did anything surprise you about how that game played out? And then talk to me a little bit about what the teams, um, uh what the team's feelings and the team's perspective was after the game and preparing for Villanova. Sure. So I don't think it played out any differently than we kind of broke it down. I'm pretty sure we expected an up and down type of game, which is kind of how it played out. I mean, it was, it was probably a little less low scoring than the second meeting in Omaha. So maybe from an efficiency standpoint, it wasn't uh, as much up tempo as that one, but um, yeah, I mean, the the one thing that I thought was a little surprising was Creighton got off to another slow start in the first half, and you know that just seemed to be the trend of the weekend for them. Um, but you know they started. You know it was funny because Chris Mack, like uh, Xavier head coach, made a reference to how many tough threes Creighton hit, and he especially singled out Cole Huff, and uh, that's something we've been talking about since Cole got on campus was that guy has just an uncanny ability to hit a shot with a, with a hand in his face. Like he has such a high release 
and he fades back a little bit, you know, and he's a six foot eight. So you really have to be a really tall or have a really long wingspan to kind of affect his jump shot. I mean, you think, I, I think he gets fouled on my like two out of every five three pointers he puts up. Yeah. It feels you know? like that, oh. isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, he was, it was, he was kind of marveled at the way that, that Cole could hit tough shots and, you know, it's old news for us, but it was kind of funny to hear it from a, uh, an outsider's perspective. And then, you know, Marcus obviously played really well, and Justin Patton had an amazing second half. I think he really set the tone for that second half run. Um, right as soon as the second half started, really, they kind of it, it was it was funny how similar that was to the Providence game because Creighton had, I think, you could argue that Creighton had a poor first half and at least offensively against Providence and Xavier, and as soon as the second half got underway, just immediately went guns blazing, open floor, here comes a big run, getting into the flow, getting the game up and down into our pace, um, and putting on a run and getting in a lead and playing from ahead. You know, it seemed like it played out that way. The difference was Xavier um, and J.P. Makira specifically went, you know, went bangerang. Yeah, went bangerang from three uh, to, you know, keep them in striking distance and not let the game get away. And then, you know, obviously down the stretch, Creighton's trying to protect the lead a little bit, which they, I thought they did a good job protecting the lead. It was just Trayvon Blewett came down and hit a really tough shot, a really tough step back. Oh, man, that was and, filthy. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a high level. That was a high Kyrie level was right there. on him, and he just put one extra little shake in there and the step back. I mean, if that's the kind of shot you're going to force, I mean, I'm no problem with forcing that shot. There were a number of times, both in that game and even in the Villanova game where the Jays forced tough jump shots, and those teams mm-hmm. just made them. I mean, you yeah. can't – again, we're no, we're no A-10 conference, but we got some good <laughs> ball players up and down the, uh, the 10 teams, you know. So Yeah, in the Big East, they just share defensive player of the year. <laughs> like, right. We don't really have – there's not that really great one individual defender, so they have to kind of like share it, like make a whole team out of it to sure. make one individual defensive player of the year, right. whereas the A-10 probably has like, you know, just – they just give it a to Rhode Island. Individual they just give it to yeah. Rhode Island. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's totally fine. Understandable too, because Rhode Island is so good. Yeah. Did you hear they're in the but, final four? Yeah, dude, it's crazy. Haven't been in tournaments since '99. They're already in the final four. It's insane. Right. So who um, who's complaining more right now? You and me about Rhode Island, or Chris Mack about whatever the hell he was yelling about at the end of that game? Oh yeah. So Chris Mack. So I was. So you know, Marcus Foster hits the shot her around the world. Yep. Um, after getting after Blue drops one in his eye, he comes back and returns the favor to win the game. And then Xavier inbounds the ball, and the Madison Square Garden clock operator decides to run the clock a little early, maybe like uh, four tenths of a second. And then uh, Chris Mack is going ballistic while JP Makira forces up a 35 footer that drops a foot short. So maybe he should have shot from 34 feet. Yeah. Um, online though, good shot. Uh, yeah, I was really worried Just, from my perch. <laughs> just front rimmed that sucker and you know that was it but uh couldn't happen to a nicer guy man JP did. <laughs> that's funny because he didn't really show up for any of the post-game press conference did he man? oh yeah there was a lack of players oh okay um but it's okay i mean i didn't hang around for those either we got good stuff in the locker room from creighton but uh yeah it was Mac was a little upset about the clock running a little early, which, you know, understandable. But, I mean, he had six seconds anyway. Do you really need that much time to get off a desperation three that you were going to shoot regardless? You had to shoot it. It's not like you could have settled for a two with six point six six left, you know? Right. 
he had to shoot a three, and it's not like JP got a bad look. He was just – and he shot it with, like, two seconds left, I think. Oh, so, yeah, I mean, he had one more dribble in him. I mean, he would just yeah. would have dribbled right into Marcus because Marcus was decently guarding him. And Marcus did a really good job not to f- fall for the pump fake because, I mean, he pump faked. He had yeah. plenty of time. Oh, there's tons um, of time. I was actually shocked that he didn't try to draw more contact knowing the kind of good player McCure is. He's crafty. I just don't know that there was enough – I don't know. I think there was too much space in between the two players when JP yeah. went for that shot. To actually, like, just, I mean, he like, pulled up from so deep. Like, yeah. I think Marcus was expecting him to come a little closer to the line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was, I don't. I mean, yeah, you're you're obviously upset about that type of situation because you want the clock to roam when you touch it. But it's not like it's not like a Xavier got a different shot than they wanted. It's not like they were forced to heave it from half court. And JP pulled up early and still could have had enough time to get closer to the line and get a better look. Um, and there was still enough time left when he let the ball go. Like they had enough time to get the game tying shot. And like I said, they weren't gonna for, they weren't gonna drive to the rim and score and then try to like foul. You know, with yeah, that I little mean, time left. Like there was plenty of time on the clock, even with it running a couple tenths of a second early. Uh, to get off the game tying, a good look from a game tying shot, you're, you're gonna have to force a three anyway. So, yeah, but he was upset because he he gets upset. So he does get upset, and you know I think the basketball gods might have punished him just a bit by Xavier being the absolutely last team named during <laughs> the selection show on Sunday night. But they did get in; they get an 11 seed. They'll be uh, wearing their dark uniforms against Maryland. Which I like that matchup for Xavier. Oh, I love that matchup for Xavier. For, you know, I, I, if any 11 seed deserves like a, you know, to be a prohibitive favorite, I feel like that's the like one. Rhode Island. <laughs> right. <laughs> if there's any 11 seed that's going to challenge Rhode Island for the national championship this year, I think it's <laughs> Xavier based on their first round matchup. Like it. Um, did you see Chris Mack's video, by the way? No. He. Uh, he has this like tradition. He's starting with his youngest son, um, Braden. Okay. Like last year, I think he's like it's like a selection Sunday donut thing where he has a where he gets his kid excited for a donut, and okay. then so this year his kid can talk now. So like, uh, he was like, uh, he wanted him to say Dada, and he said Dada, and then he wanted him to say he wanted to get a donut, so he said get a donut in this cute little voice. And then he wanted him to spell out Xavier, so Chris or so Mac goes X A V, and the little kid's like I E R, and it's nice. the cutest. <laughs> I mean, it's the cutest thing. Like I love. It's my favorite video of the week, right there. All right. But yeah, I like seeing like I like seeing when coaches like you know let you in a little bit, and and he's so the- good at that stuff, which makes his <clears throat> behavior when yeah. we see him in Omaha and other places. Just I don't know he's super competitive. I mean, I for sure. It. Like that's just the way it goes. I, I'm sure. And that the last five minutes of that Jay's Xavier game in New York were intense, man. Those were back mm-hmm. and forth. And um, I know, like we talked about early, Xavier playing from the seven seed and having to play in that first round game in New York. I mean, that's a long trip for them. That's a long week, and yeah, it punctuates. You know, they end up going home. The Jays stick around. How much were you concerned with? if there's any sort of um, kind of energy drawback to the way that ended Friday night carrying into Saturday. Um, it's not like 
it's not like Villanova had a cakewalk in their semifinal either. Obviously, all the Jays fans showing up, they see Josh Hart get uh, offensive board and and put back for the go ahead, but they didn't exactly have their easiest uh, time either against uh, Seton Hall in that semifinal. So, kind of what play play for me and and everybody listening at home, kind of what the collective energy was like with the Jays and Villanova as they're winning tough semifinal games and getting ready for Saturday. You know, it's funny because going into the tournament, I thought, man, Villanova on day two is really vulnerable. And I thought about it from the perspective of in order for Creighton to get Villanova on day two, they had to play probably the one team that was just their Achilles heel all year in Marquette, which is how the bracket broke out. Um, And obviously Seton Hall is a bad matchup for Marquette and for Villanova, really, because... They can guard. They can switch all five positions and guard all five positions just fine, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and that's a problem for a team like Villanova. It's a problem for a team like Creighton. That's why Seton Hall and Creighton have had tough battles in in conference play these last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought Villanova was just like so ready to be beaten, based on their depth issues and how tired they looked at the end of the year. And you know, in Seton Hall, like how physical they are, they really really close to clipping them. They were the better team like throughout the whole game. I think. I would say Seton Hall outplayed them for about 35 minutes. And then Villanova just showed that championship medal. I mean, Josh Hart, like, flipped a switch. Like, you could see it. Yeah. Like, you just – I just sensed, like, that dude was – I sensed he turned into the player of the year. Like, there's, like, a gear that I feel like dominant players have when they have special seasons like he's had, you know. And and Doug had it, too, like, where he would just – have these moments in games where he'd be like, all right, I'm tired. Time to go for 15 real quick here and show everybody what's up. Like in a stretch of like, you know, six or seven possessions. And then like I saw, I felt like Josh Hart's like went there from an energy level standpoint. Like he was making plays all over the court. I mean, they get, they got their first lead. Like he strips some dude at half court and runs down for a, and one dunk like that blew the roof off the building. Yeah. Um, it was just like, yeah, that dude's about to take over this whole tournament right here. And, you know, obviously he won the game for them against Seton Hall. And then, like, Creighton's defense against Villanova, I thought Creighton had enough energy to finish that out. I really did. I mean, I don't think that was the problem. Uh, their problem was they just didn't take care of the basketball at all. And then, but from, like, Josh Hart's perspective, like, Kyrie and Marcus and, you know, I think Davion got him a couple times. Like, they, they – contested him pretty good like they kept him from getting to the rim which is what he wants to do and get to the foul line but then when he when he got closed off he just pulled up wherever he was at i mean he's got such good lift on his jumper like he gets you know you really have to work to contest that thing but i mean he was shooting contested jumpers still and just you know cashing them in like he i think Kyrie went out at the he played the first 10 minutes straight Kyrie did and josh hart got a breather in between there and so Kyrie comes out, Josh Hart comes back in. Goes on, the, goes yeah, on towards, Josh Hart run land. Oh, yeah, he just went off. It was like three, it was like bang, three from the corner, uh, contested jumper from the elbow, another one from the elbow, another one from three, a layup. It was like, yeah, this dude's going off now. Um, and after at that point, there's no, there's no way you can shut him down because he's in rhythm and he's feeling it. So, yeah, he ended up with like 29 points, I think, Um is that what he ended up with? I'm pretty sure. But, yeah, wins the MLP easy. It was just one of those things like, you know, Creighton had enough in the tank to finish it out. But, 
It's too many turnovers. I think I think the points off turnovers were 21-7 to in favor of Villanova, and that was the difference in the game. I mean, Creighton lost by 14, so, you know, if you can point to one stat or try to circle one statistic that, you know, kind of led to the outcome, that seems like a pretty big one because Creighton had, a, had real issues, like taking care of the basketball. Um, they were just forcing some passes, weren't necessarily being aware when they were bringing the ball up court because Villanova got them from – from behind a few times to knock the ball away, I uh, just that was that to me was the big difference in the game. There was a stretch in the second half where I think Creighton, I mean, overlapping first and second half, where Creighton had about twenty possessions and turned the ball over twelve times. So let me just and think a lot about of them, that. A lot of them were not overtly forced by sure. Villanova's defense. I mean, we're talking about a couple fumbles of the ball. We're talking about some errant passes. Just. Stuff they just looked discombobulated with, which, when the margin of error is so small against a yeah. team like Villanova, you just you can't have them. You know, you just can't have them. So, yeah, I'm sitting there in the middle of a bunch of Villanova fans, and I, you know, I show up trying to have kind of rose-colored glasses on, right? Like glass half full. If they win this game. It's gravy, but you know my investment here has paid off. They played mm-hmm. three games. They you know they won two games. They got to the third game. I mean, for a for a for a tournament situation, you and I were talking about it Friday. If they win one, you feel like it's worth it. But really, if you get to play in three games, I mean that's really all you can ask for. Obviously, do we want to win a title? Sure. Uh, will we eventually? I think so. But yeah, um, you know you needed to play almost perfect basketball on Saturday to beat Villanova in what essentially was a home game following probably Villanova's worst game in quite some time. And you just didn't think that they would have two stinkers in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, you hope that they get beaten their one stinker so that you play a Seton Hall team that you probably, um, that well, at least that you've had more success against in recent history than Villanova, certainly. Uh, I mean, this was a tougher road than the 2013-14 team had like Doug's senior team like I mean they played the hottest team probably one of the hottest teams in the country in Providence right out of the gate and beat them at their own game by double digits and they played Xavier a team who's pretty desperate to get quality wins to make sure their their you know at large candidacy is on solid ground beat them in dramatic fashion like great game great finish big time shot to win it um and then, you know, you take on the reigning national champion, number one overall seed in the whole entire country yep. for the title game. It wasn't like, you know, and then you just compare it to the 2013-14 team where they had to beat DePaul, uh, where Doug set like a MSG or Big East tournament record for most points in, a first, in, a half, for, in the first half. And then they had to beat Xavier, who they'd already beaten, or they split with, I guess, but they beat, had to beat Xavier, and then they had to beat a Providence team who – kind of got a lucky drop with Seton Hall beating Villanova um, in the first round of that, you know? So it was like, it was one of those where Creighton like kind of backed their way into being the favorite in on championship uh, Saturday, you know, but versus this time around where Creighton was, I think they were an underdog against Providence the first time. Were they not this, this weekend? Uh, yeah. No, I, I mean, I guess what I saw, I think they were like a th- two or a three point favorite. Okay. Um, but, I mean, it was just a wash. I mean, yeah. you know, so. But, but but you know, that was one of the, like, Creighton's the sixth seed. They're playing wearing blue jerseys, and they're playing a 
red hot Providence team who had won six in a row going in, and then you're playing a Xavier team who had just beaten Butler the night before. Um, and Trayvon Blue was playing well, JP Mikiro was playing well, and you have to like stave them off, and then, uh, then hey, your reward for that is the best player in the country, the best team in the country, and go a get point them. guard like, that we cannot slow down. Jalen Brunson. No. Oh okay. my gosh, that guy. I I know he's good against everybody for the most part, but man, he just carves us. He carves he, us up. He picks his spots he's a, perfectly. He's a sophomore, dude. Sophomore. I know. God, he's gonna be good. Yeah. Um. Speaking of good, the Jays not needing to really sweat anything out. Obviously, if they were even close to being on any uh, proverbial bu- bubbles, uh, a win over Providence in that quarterfinal game secured whatever might have been weird with a selection committee. Um, obviously, they go ahead and they beat Xavier too. So then, you know, Xavier got their two wins. That Butler win, huge for them. Obviously, they're playing uh, – they're probably the last – one of the last buys, obviously, uh, as an 11th seed. Um you know, so they're sitting at Sokol Arena Sunday afternoon waiting to hear their name called, and decent crowd down there, not not a huge crowd. Uh, I think everybody, you know, was probably hungover like I was or something coming back from the trip, um, just tired and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, then they hear their name called. What's that like down there? Um, you know, when it's Rhode Island and everybody starts talking about coach altman in the next round and between talking about altman and oregon and talking about how rhode island's gonna win they kind of forgot to talk about the jays yeah a little bit uh i was actually down there with ravi from uh blue jay banner and we were just kind of bsing before the show and during the selections and things like that and it was funny when uh when oregon's name popped up as the three I, I turned to him, I was like, here comes, you know that Creighton's a six right here. You just, I mean, it was the spot where, I mean, Creighton was in that six to seven range, you know, so you were just looking for the funny matchup because, I, okay, I don't know if they do it on purpose. I've heard they don't, you know, I've heard the committee doesn't look at storylines and things like that, but haven't there been enough examples now where it's like, maybe that's not necessarily true, or at least there's like some smoke to that fire there, you know, because... You go back to 2012-2013, and it's Doug versus Harrison Barnes in the second round. Um, go to 2013-2014, Nebraska's in the same bracket. Like, if they win, if both teams win their first-round games, that's the second-round matchup. Um, and then uh, this year, it's uh, Creighton versus Rhode Island, which is Preston Murphy's alma mater, alma mater and uh, his team that, you know, he coached – there as well and then oh if you win that game you're probably going to play your former head coach and Dana Allman like that's just way too many coincidences for me you know what I mean like for that not to be a thing yeah I mean I think um, like it's uh soap opera central out in Sacramento they'll probably just send some some uh some video crews from from Hollywood and come on out and film some stuff right there's a lot of drama there's a lot of twists and turns potentially out in that in that first and second round location it's, out there i mean essentially gonna be you got the creighton rhode island narratives the first round so essentially it's like is rhode island a final four team well you know and then if creighton beats them it's like oh look at that creighton shocked the world now they're playing their former coach 
And then it's and then the other thing will be like, what kind of batshit crazy thing will Levar Ball say this weekend? Like, that's pretty much that's pretty much the narratives that will be spinning in Sacramento. Um, you know, I think Levar Ball. The last we heard, he could beat Michael Jordan one on one, even though he was a garbage college basketball player himself. But you know, he's got some confidence and he has a big mouth, so I'm sure he'll be saying some crazy stuff this weekend. And um. Yeah, he'll probably overshadow some of the games, I would imagine. Okay. Uh, but yeah, there's there's gonna be no shortage of uh, media storylines from Sacramento this weekend for sure. So I'd be remiss if we didn't mention you met you talked to Coach Preston Murphy. You already mentioned it, right? Uh, the connection to uh, Rhode Island there, and and just maybe on the record for all of our listeners, what's Preston going through right now? <laughs> I don't know if, like, I it's it, I think it's kind of bittersweet for him because obviously he's happy that Creighton's in it because that's the team that he currently coaches. And then he's also happy for for Rhode Island because that's his alma mater. And the last time they made the NCAA tournament, Preston Murphy was playing for Rhode Island. So you know, back in 99. So, I mean, and the team that, you know, beat Paul Pierce in Kansas and almost went to the, I think, the Final Four of the Elite. I can't remember where they got upset or where they got beat, I should they got say. got beat in the Elite Eight. They were a couple yeah. shots away from the Final Four. Yeah, and, like, in one of the most, like, heartbreaking ways for a Cinderella to go down, like, it's one of the, you don't want to say, like, the choke word, but if you watch it, it's like, oh, man. Um and I remember that game from a ki- as a kid too. It's it's really weird the the kind of dynamic there. But yeah, I mean, there's just he you know for him he was he talks about it in this interview like he was watching Rhode Island with his family and you know cheering for them in the A10 championship and like really happy for them that they clinched that automatic bid and we're going back to the NCAA tournament for sure. And then it's like he had no it never even entered into his mind that that was a team he was probably going to face to move on with his own team, his current team, you know, and it just seems like it's a little bittersweet. Like he's happy for Rhode Island. He's happy for Creighton, but he's like, damn, why do I have to be a part of this game type of deal? You know? Um, so yeah, I don't think it's something that is easy for him to deal with, but he's, you know, he's doing it in a professional manner. He's getting the Creighton team ready. I think him and him and the other coach Murph, coach Steve Murfield are on the scout for this game. And, uh, you know, they've been hard at work these last two days getting the uh, scout team prepared to show the starters what they're going to, you know, what they should expect to see come Friday afternoon. But, yeah, I don't think this is something that's, like, easy for him to deal with. And certainly the media attention around it because of the storyline. He's obviously doing more interviews than he's used to doing. So he's probably probably tired of giving the same old answer to everything. But, you know, I think he would rather be Creighton. I think he would rather Creighton be playing Villanova again than Rhode Island right now. But... You know, as much as he'd want a different matchup, but that's just the way the the cards were dealt. So, oh, yeah, I mean, I hear Rhode Island's going to play for a Final Four, so I maybe. Yeah, gonna, I mean, they yeah, sound but... better than Villanova at this point. <laughs> um, let's take a hard right turn <coughs> to the next day at Sokol Arena. Jim Flannery, we've got an interview coming up with him as well. Um, let's maybe, yeah, let's hold that. Let's jump into the Preston thing here because I think it's a good spot, and then we'll talk. Women's basketball. We'll talk women's basketball selection show and what their matchup is when we get done. That sound all right? Yep. All right. So 
Without further ado, this is Matt DeMarena speaking with Creighton assistant basketball coach Preston Murphy ahead of Creighton's first-round matchup against his alma mater, the Rhode Island Rams, here on the Blue Jays Bites podcast, sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. Sitting here with the Creighton assistant coach and former Rhode Island Ram, Preston Murphy. Obviously, a big week for you because the NCAA selection committee loves their storylines. They decided to stick you yep. guys with your alma mater for the first time they get the NCAA tournament in 99, and they stick you across the bench, huh? Ironic, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, what's the week been like for you? I mean, you saw that you're happy to be in, obviously, but you'd rather there's a party that wants Rhode Island to go far, too, so it's, it has to be kind of bittersweet, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, earlier during that day, I was, I was uh, at my house with my family. We were, we were cheering and rooting for Rhode Island to win the A-10 championship. And, um, you know, it never crossed my mind at that time that we would be matched up with them, you know, especially not the first game. You know, obviously, if you win and they win, there's a potential for that down the road. But it, it never uh, crossed my mind at that moment that we would, we would be playing them in the, uh, in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you said, the last time they were in the tournament, I was playing there. And then, I, you know, I went back to Rhode Island as a coach. I, I recruited and coached, you know, some of the guys that are on the team now. So, it's, um, you know, I'm happy for them and their families and, and for the school. And, um, you know, excited that they're, they're in the tournament. How do you put all the uncomfortable stuff behind you and get down to business? Has it been difficult? No, no, it, you know, it hasn't been difficult. You know, I, again, I, I was happy when they when, when they won the championship and, and then made the tournament. And, um, you know, obviously I'm here and we know we have a job to do. You know, being a part of uh, Coach McDermott's staff has been great. And, then, you know, our guys here have had a, um, a very good season. And it's um, you know, we're look, looking forward to going out there and competing in the, uh, in the tournament. What do you remember about, you know, your experience in this tournament with Rhode Island as a player? I mean, do you think about that much? I mean, I joked when you got here that I remember that when they hired Preston Murphy, I was like, oh, I remember that name. I remember that game. I used to, I mean, there was a Cinderella story of that tournament. Right. And I remember that vividly. But obviously the lasting memory of it is how close you guys came and how far you got. Uh, how, when NCAA tournament time comes around, what are the feelings like for you? Do you remember the end, or do you remember the ride more? You know, I both. You know, it's uh, it, you know, it's a very special time. Obviously, I was fortunate enough to be able to play in the NCAA tournament and and have that type of a, a run, as, you know, my junior year. And it's um, you know, we enjoyed every moment of it. Just getting there, the camaraderie with the teammates. You know, you have a special relationship with those guys, a bond that that you know that lasts a lifetime. So you know, I'm in touch with a lot of my, my former teammates. And uh, so just that whole ride, that whole thrill, you know, you remember, the, you remember it all. What do you tell this group that you're kind of, you know, mentoring here about the ride itself? Because, you know, you got 40 minutes and then you're either, your season's either over just like that or you're moving on and you have to focus on the next team. What do you tell them about maybe the days leading up or the moments where there's like a break in the action to help them kind of enjoy the experience and not take it for granted and just think about it in a basketball sense. Yeah, you know, I think the important thing is just to enjoy each moment of it, you know, enjoy the selection part, you know, enjoy the practices, the preparation leading up to the game. And, you know, uh, without having your guard down, you you don't know when the next time you're going to be in this position. Mm -hmm. Like this team, that's the way it's constructed now, would never play another game again, you know, if if you lose a game in the NCAA tournament. And so it's... um, you know, it's a it's a one game tournament. You have to go in there and give it your all, and um, and, and not have any regrets. Uh, one thing I want to ask you about is, you, you know, I saw your family and everything up in New York, and it looked like they were enjoying the whole 
the whole atmosphere of the send-offs and all that sort of thing. What was, you know, given that that was your first experience here at Creighton with that and making it to the championship game and, you know, having one after the other, just the energy that the fans kind of brought to the hotel and all that. What was what was that like for you and your family to experience that? Was that, Were you guys having fun? Yeah, oh yeah, you know, it was fun. It, it was a thrilling time. I mean, our, our fans are fantastic. The way they travel, the way they support us, it's, um, it, it's not like uh, this in a lot of places in the country. And so, you know, for us to go through that and have that experience here, um, that type of that type of support behind us has been great. What's it been like for your family moving out here? I mean, you know, you're an East Coast guy. You, you know, you're Rhode Island, Boston College. I mean, it seems like maybe that's kind of where your roots were. Right. I mean, and then you're from Michigan, obviously. But, I mean, it felt like this was a tough, maybe a tough transition at first for everybody involved, how has your family kind of adjusted? Oh, uh, you know, the family's been great. You know, the the support here has been tremendous uh, from the university and the people in the community. Uh, you know, my I have uh, three three young boys and and they're all active in sports, and so that that was kind of an easy transition for them. Uh, prior to, to school starting, they kind of all jumped on the football team and made friends. Mm-hmm. So when they started that first day of school, they weren't like the uh, the new kids on the block. So it was uh, it, it's been a pretty smooth and seamless transition. Um, just from a basketball perspective, what on film has been maybe the key for Rhode Island during this stretch here where, you know, they've gotten hot and they seem to be kind of a trendy pick to move on and yeah. go to the Space 16 as a double-digit seed. Um, obviously, the injuries are a big factor and the health is a big factor, but from a basketball perspective, from an execution perspective, what are they doing well in this eight-game stretch that's, you know, led to them getting hot here? Well, besides them getting healthy, because they haven't really had their their, their full hand, you know, all year, they they've had little injuries to a lot of their key players, um, but they're really shooting the ball at a high level. You know, Coach Hurley does a great job of, of getting those guys prepared. They're um, they're one of the best defensive teams in the country, and uh, you know, you, when you add on the way they've been shooting the ball lately, they make them an extremely dangerous team. EC Matthews is a scorer, obviously. You guys have a pretty solid individual defender in your own right that you can put him on, but what are the challenges to guarding a big, physical, left-handed guy like an E.C. Matthews? Uh, you know, E.C. is a, is a very talented kid. Um, you know, he, again, lefty, 6'5", you know, good length, good IQ, um, you know, very good with the ball. You know, he's going to be a guy that you have to you have to focus on. Your team has, has to be focused and prepared to guard. I mean, there isn't there isn't a magic formula to guard a guy that that's uh, that's really talented. You know, you just have to work hard and make everything that he does um, offensively a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, defensive, defensive, they're really chaotic. They really they really challenge shots. They really challenge you know ball handlers. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you guys are coming off of a you know a tournament where maybe that was your Achilles heel a little bit. Maybe you guys didn't take care of the ball as well as you possibly needed to, even as far as you made it. How important is ball security going to be in this matchup? Yeah, it's going to be extremely uh, important. I, the good thing about the Big East tournament um, with, with playing against Villanova, I think playing against them kind of prepared us to play another team that pressures the ball and then gets out and pass the lanes and is very tough-minded. And so where ball security is very important. So I think that uh, that kind of helped us in the preparation for Rhode Island. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're really tough. They're aggressive. And they're, um, you know, they're, they're relentless. What have you noticed? I mean, obviously you guys probably don't listen to it as much or if at all, but, I mean, it seems like Rhode Island is the, the popular pick to move on. And it's not really 
there isn't really much analysis being put on this game alone. It's almost like Rhode Island is moving on, and here's why they're going to move on, not necessarily why Creighton has a shot in this game. Right. Has that been in the minds of your players at all? And, I mean, do you guys think about that type of stuff, or do you just no. focus on what? No, not really. We, you know, we, we just focus on, uh, you know, preparing for them uh, and, and, and making sure that our team is, is, is ready to play and perform at the highest level possible. Same time, as a competitor yourself, I know it would probably feel good to prove a lot of people wrong. I mean, that's what, that's that's the drive for all competitors, right? Is when people doubt you. Absolutely, you know, it's um, you know going to every competition, uh, you want you want to win. I mean, that's just you know that's why you play the games. Yeah, yeah. Preston, thanks for a lot for sitting down. I know it's been a week, but we've had to think about it a lot. Where people have been asking a lot of questions yeah. about it, um, but I appreciate you sitting down and talking about it and. Let me pick your brain over it. No problem. Appreciate it. Good stuff, Matt. I know it's a busy um, prep time for these coaches. They get back from New York City on Sunday, and they have to turn right around and start getting everything ready to roll for a team that they only get a few days to prepare for. Um, what's practice been like down for the Blue Jays um, in the championship center as they've been getting ready to, uh, to head to Sacramento? <laughs> Yeah, I mean they've gone here Monday and uh, Tuesday. They had Sunday, they had Sunday off. You know, obviously for the selection show and then to travel. Um, you know, to get. I think we didn't even get back until. Um, man, it's tough to say because there's a time change from the Eastern Time Zone and there's daylight savings time. Like the plane literally landed at like probably two o'clock, around two o'clock. And then daylight savings time hit or something like that. I can't remember. It was a blur. It was early in the morning. There wasn't much time to rest. So they got the day off on Sunday just to watch and see where they ended up. And then Monday they did some drill work for a little bit. And then Tuesday they got in some – today they got in some Rhode Island stuff and started defending some of their sets. Uh, they threw in some new stuff today that, you know, took a little bit of, took a little bit to get used to. There were a few mistakes early on, but – you know, once they started executing them and getting into a pretty good rhythm with the new stuff, they were – Davion made a few nice plays from the point guard position. Um, Don't tell the message boards. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, you know, Justin threw down some alley-oops. Like, there was just – yeah, they, they got into a good flow as practice went on, but it wasn't a, a long, grueling practice at all. I think the – kind of the idea with this team right now is to um, kind of just keep them sharp – you know, and, you know, with the drill work, obviously that'll help that. But, you know, make sure they're as fresh as possible by the time the game tips against what looks like to be a top contender for the national title this year. <laughs> um, I'm just going to beat that into the ground over the next That's few fine, days. Man. Uh, and then, yeah, it's just like, so they'll get into heavy into Rhode Island stuff. They're going to fly out tomorrow, actually tomorrow morning, and then they'll get heavy into the, North, into the Rhode Island prep um once they get into Sacramento and everything like that, and then they'll tip off Friday. So right now it's just been a couple of days of, you know, getting some shots up, getting some drills in, you know, a, a little peek into Rhode Island, throwing in some new sets themselves, and then making sure everybody stays in one piece. And you know who else tips Friday? Jim Flannery yeah. in the Creighton women's basketball <laughs> That's team. That's right. Love probably it. Like, probably like 30 minutes after, right, or something like that? Yeah, so I think it's an hour. about an hour. Yeah, so Jay's yeah. men tentatively scheduled or approximately scheduled to start about 3.30 Central Time, and then the women's team scheduled to start around 6.30 Central Time. They're out in Corvallis. They draw a seven seed from the selection committee, and they will host, quote-unquote, be the home team against 
the, the Toledo Rockets. What do you know about the Rockets? Or maybe we should start, Matt, with what was it like at Sokol um, watching that team secure its first at-large bid in, or its first bid to the NCAA tournament at all in in a few years? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was really. They were really excited to see their name pop up there, even though they were pretty confident it was going to happen. Um, if you talk to, if you talk to Lauren Works. Um, <laughs> she was. She was uh, totally. <coughs> excuse me. She was uh, totally surprised the name popped up there. Apparently, um, <laughs> but that's just Lauren. She's really happy go lucky. So I'm sure she wanted to like feel the, the moment of you know just complete excitement when you see your name called as an NCAA tournament team, but considering it was their first time, so yeah, it's just it's funny hearing her say that, though. Because uh, they felt like they were, you know, pretty much a lock for the last three weeks, and, yeah, you know, that's yeah. all the talk has been. Like, you know, Flan... Flan pretty uh, much said it. Yeah, on senior day, he said goodbye to the crowd. He's like, uh, you know, I appreciate all your support and everything like that, but I'm really glad I won't have to see you again This uh, in this arena. We're not playing any WNT games. Um... Obviously, there was an outside chance that Creighton could have actually could have hosted an NCAA tournament game or a regional, considering Stanford, despite having an elite women's basketball program, decided to book their venue for this weekend uh, and don't mind sending their team on the road. But they ended up going to, I think, Manhattan. Kansas State was the lottery winner in that one. Hey. <coughs> so Kansas State's going to host Drake in the 7-10 game. And then... Um, Stanford will be down there too in Manhattan, Kansas. So close, but not quite. Almost got sent to Omaha, but they'll decide to go to Manhattan there. And then, but you know, the other thing to watch was the last projection on ESPN's bracketology for women, which <coughs> only really one guy does it. <clears throat> Charlie Cream. And, uh, Charlie Cream. And, uh, you know, he had Creighton after the loss to Marquette. Uh, as an eight seed going to stores, which is like a death sentence pretty much. So there was a lot of excitement when Creighton went that first. It was funny because Creighton had a split screen um, on the projection. Mm-hmm. So like there was, a, there was a split screen. There was a Creighton's live feed, and then there was ESPN's feed for the selection show. Yeah. And but Creighton also had a had a had an ESPN feed themselves, so you didn't know if ESPN was showing the feed or if that was just a live feed from DJ Sokol Arena, uh, split screen with the ESPN feed. So it's funny because they were showing Creighton's, uh, they had a split screen, so they were showing the selection show and Creighton's feed on the same screen, and then they were showing the Bridgeport Regional, which is UConn's region, and it was like, uh oh, why are they showing Creighton right now? And then this order like, wait, is that the Joe Wilman? Is that the split screen or is that the ESPN about to drop a bomb on Creighton that they're going to stores? And then obviously when Syracuse and Iowa State popped up there, we realized it was the split screen with the DJ Sokol Arena feed as well. And then they showed Syracuse's poor little faces, knowing that they have to go to oh, stores man. Connecticut as the eight seed. Uh-huh. There's uncomfortable, and then there's what that was in Syracuse because I mean, Kara Lawson thought that there was maybe an issue with the technical feed i don't think there was i think it was just syracuse players looking super bummed that they got sent to syracuse <laughs> got sent to stores right which is totally counteractive to creighton's reaction seeing syracuse and iowa state get sent there because that was the only other time they cheered that night was when they realized <laughs> they weren't going to like there was a bunch of cheers and laughter and hugs like you know they were really excited that they didn't have to you know end up as the eight nine game in stores connecticut facing the most 
dominant college what college sports team around right now. Um, I could say probably ever. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then you're wondering, well, is this what want that storyline of Creighton started their winning streak and now they're going to give them a chance to end it or what? But yeah, they were they were pretty excited to see that they weren't being sent there. Um, and then, then then the other thing to watch was if they were going to get to host Stanford or not. And then you know the Corvallis thing was kind of expected actually. That was that was a popular projection for Creighton throughout the year. Was getting sent to play Oregon State either as the six, um, six eleven playing the three seed Oregon State in the second round, or the seven ten playing Oregon State as a two. I think I was a little surprised Oregon State was a two probably, but I mean it seems like they were kind of a lower, one of the lower twos. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's not a bad matchup for Creighton either the Toledo matchup or the potential one with Oregon State. You know, obviously has to take care of business with Toledo first, but. This Creighton team is just so versatile, you know. They can play, you know, with Brianna Rollerson, they can play a traditional one through five. And then Audrey Faber is obviously a stretch four. So, you know, they can they can spread you out and then isolate you in the post with Bree. So, I mean, they can play with, with bigger lineups. And then they can also go small and put, like, a Jalen Agnew at the four and have Audrey play the five, you know. So the versatility, I think, helps them – with the matchups in this in this regional, especially with Toledo, because Toledo doesn't really shoot the ball very well. Mm-hmm. They, it sounds like they have a couple of traditional fives, which are back to the basket bigs, and then that might be a problem. But I mean, again, like it's not from a matchup standpoint. Creighton can still match up with that, and then create problems offensively with small with the small lineup. It's all it all depends on really how the small lineup can rebound and defend, because offensively they create a lot of mismatches for bigger teams. But I mean Toledo's a team that's you know they're they're a little similar to maybe you know Flans has a St. John's and it looks like on paper that's what kind of looks like they don't really shoot the three all that well outside of outside of one player who's at thirty five percent but I mean you know she's she's shot up she's put up one hundred fifty threes and she's at thirty five percent and Creighton has four five players over thirty six percent so I mean it's all relative there she shoots it well on her own team but it's not like she's a sharpshooter or anything. I mean, they shoot as a team, they shoot 30% from three, which isn't very good, but they rebound the heck out of the basketball. And, you know, they seem to create a lot of turnovers. So I think they've created over 600 turnovers this year. So yeah, they, they really get, it sounds like they really pressure the ball. They really, they really push you out past the three point line and make you kind of set your offense up, you know, extend your offense and kind of get you into some late shot clock situations, which, you know, Creighton's got enough playmakers with Sidney Lamberty and Marissa Janney and Audrey Faber that can make plays off the dribble too. So, I mean, it's not like they – Creighton just can adapt really well, and I don't – this isn't really a bad matchup for them. I mean, they could lose the first game, absolutely, but, you know, if they're going to advance and they want to draw out potentially favorable matchups for themselves, I mean, this is a pretty good one for, you know, a possible six Sweet 16 run. Well, yeah, I mean, you look uh... – Oregon State lost at home to Marquette, a team that right. the Jays obviously played extremely well against. So, yeah, I mean, um, it's all about matchups. You know, all of the um, super, you know, all all of the all, all of the statements apply just as much to the women's tournament as it does the men. Um, obviously, you're working on home court advantages in those first and second round spots, though, mm-hmm. which throws a little wrinkle into things and and. Nobody wants to go to stores. But other than that, I mean, I feel like the Jays, they have just as good a shot as anybody else to 
to get out of to get out of that first weekend. So they've got experience and talent. They like you said, they can do a lot of different things, play a lot of different ways. Um should be interesting and I'm excited. Like that's a big day for Creighton Sports. Yeah. You know, big Friday afternoon leaking into Friday evening. Both teams get a win. I mean, you're talking about a lot of really positive momentum for both basketball programs. Win or win or lose, there's that's still there, right? I mean, both teams back. Yeah, because dance. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot coming back for both teams. I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, the. I mean, obviously, the Justin Patton thing will be an issue, uh, a topic for Creighton's men's program in the offseason. Will he go or will he won't? Will he stay? Um, you know, Marcus Foster might get a look. And depending on how he performs, there's a chance there too. But I mean, it seems like he's a a lean towards coming back at this point. Um, and then you got Caleb Joseph, who's you know been working hard at all during his redshirt year to you know potentially slot into the point guard position and compete from you know with Davion for that number one spot at point guard. And, uh, you know, Toby Hagner will be back. Ronnie Harrell will be back. Uh, you throw in Tyshawn Alexander and Mitch Ballack into the mix, and then um, that you know of so far. I mean, there's a lot of talent coming back for the men's side and the women's side. We I think we talked about last week, but I mean, you know, Jalen Agnew, Sidney Lamberty, Audrey Faber, like that's a first teamer in Faber. Uh, Sidney Lamberty, who just made the all tournament team for the Big East tournament this past weekend, um, and then Jalen Agnew, who is the Big East freshman of the year. Does that you know? That's a solid core right there coming back, and a very versatile core. I mean, we talked about it last week that you know, if you, when you look at Agnew, she's pretty much she pretty much can defend one through four, maybe even defend a five every now and then. But I mean, she's not certainly not like a big physical presence, but athletically, she can bother fives. Sure. So I mean, you have a kid right there who can pretty much switch all five positions, and then Audrey Faber who can play pretty much a three through a five. And Sidney Lamberty, who can play one through four. I mean, that's a, that's an entire starting lineup of positions right there with three different players. I mean, and then just plug in pieces around them. You pretty much surround those kids with shooters because they're all such good creators and good playmakers. Um, yeah, I mean, Creighton, it's we could be seeing a run here of you know where NCAA tournaments kind of become the norm. Uh, I hope so, Matt. I hope I hope that's the case because I'm I'm not gonna lie, man. The last couple of years have been a bummer. And mm-hmm. I don't think I even filled out a bracket last year. I was just kind of, I don't know. I was just kind of done with things once, uh, once the Jays lost to, um, Seton Hall in sure. the men's tournament, and once the women just could not complete what, what would have been a, uh, a really just remarkable run. I mean, it was right. regardless, but it was a great run through the Big East tournament. They just couldn't, they just couldn't find that final. Yeah, one quarter short. One quarter short. So, I don't know. I just kind of had a bad taste in my mouth at the end of Mm -hmm. last season, and I paid a little bit of attention. Obviously, watching Villanova perform well was kind of bittersweet. I mean, obviously, you love it for the league, but then you also know that that's going to make it that much more difficult to compete with Villanova year in and year out because, (laughs) you know, you you start – Jay could always Jay Wright could always recruit guys, but then you start recruiting guys with the national championship under your belt. Like, good luck, Jays. You know, right. if you're ever going to be in the mix with <coughs> similar for similar kids, which you would hope that's the case, right? You want to be going out east. You want to be getting some of those guys, um, or being in the mix on those on those guys. And so, I mean, that was fun. But 
you know, this is what it's all about, right? You want the men's team, you want the women's team playing in the NCAA tournament. You want the Big East collecting tons of the magical units. <laughs> units. Get. I mean, let's talk <laughs> about units right now. We're talking about a lot of cash. Seventy or um, seventy percent of your league goes to the NCAA tournament. That's insane. Yeah, that's crazy. And that's another thing that they did not talk about at all. Watching whatever the tournament marathon bracketology thing was on ESPN a little bit Sunday night. I mean, yeah, they're spending more time than they know what to deal with talking about Duke not getting a one seed, and you got oh. the Big East putting seven teams in the in the dance. And I understand they could go completely fall on their face and not do well but the fact of the matter is if you're a team that um, how crazy is it that they got seven teams in and georgetown didn't make it yeah you know that's I mean, the crazy part like, that's a sleeping giant seriously if they so decide you're, you're, to get out of their own way and put eight teams in the tournament i mean cooley's teams are not gonna have i mean if this was as um if this was as much of a step back as an Ed Cooley team has seen, you know, since we've been in the league, which right. you have Chris Dunn, you have Ben Bentil take off early. I mean, think about if those guys didn't. Oh, you know, yeah. Um, I'm not sure we're talking about Villanova winning a league title. You know, um, who knows? But I, I just think that DePaul is trying. Eh, they're trying to get out of their own way, I suppose. Right? I guess you build a building and hope that. Well, I mean, if come, but, if, but I mean, if if your bottom feeder is going to be, if your bottom feeder is going to be DePaul, and you know they're they're not good, but I mean it's <laughs> not that they're not competitive either. I mean they had Villanova, yeah, they had a chance to beat Villanova this year. They had a chance to beat Butler twice. Yep. I mean they've beaten Marquette in the past. They beat Providence this year. Yeah. Like they beat NCAA tournament teams this year in conference sure. play. Like they're not like all cake. It's not like they're not the, they're not like the traditional. Number ten, they're number ten because the rest of the league is really good, right? You know, like I don't, I don't know what DePaul would finish in the Valley, but you know, since that's what we can compare it to, because that's what the conference Creighton came from. But I mean, I would feel confident they wouldn't finish last in that league, right? So I mean, that's just, it's just, you know, it's it's interesting because this league is, if you look at what Creighton has gone through, I mean, everybody's kind of down on the Jays right now, certainly from a national perspective. 47% of their games this year overall like including non-conference play all all together were played against NCAA tournament teams. That's insane. So every other night Creighton was playing an NCAA tournament game. Think about that. I mean, I think they've only lost one game out of their nine that they've lost this year. Only one of them, which was the Georgetown loss in DC, was against a team that didn't make the tournament. Think about that. Yeah, I mean, we used to count on one hand, or half of one hand, the number of games that we got against any NCAA tournament team, let alone mm-hmm. wins or losses. I mean, just games. Right. Um, you know, and you you sit there, and not to not to digress too much, but I don't know, what are your thoughts, what were your feelings when Illinois State doesn't get called? I mean, does part of you from – the Valley days say, oh, man, I feel bad for you because I know how this feels because they're just – or do you say, well, you know, that's just the way that the way it is now. I mean – Yeah, it's kind of – I mean, I wasn't really that surprised. I mean, from – you know, they were 27 – I've watched – I watched a 27-9 and nine Creighton team not make it. So you're talking about a 27-6 and six Illinois State team with what? A quality win over Wichita State and then nothing else, yeah. right? Yep. 
So yeah, I've seen that play out before. I've seen it. I've seen. I've gone to selection shows for Creighton watching that watching a team like that get snubbed. So it's not no. I'm no shock to me. I mean, I was more laughing at Syracuse thinking they belonged in with 14 losses. And the you know what I. I'll make an argument for Illinois State over Vanderbilt. How did Vanderbilt get a nine seed as a fifteen loss team? Like, because of Bryce Drew. But how do you go nineteen and fifteen and make the tournament? That's not an NCAA tournament team. And they're are not, you? They're not even in the the first four, right? That's crazy to me that they got in. Like, I don't <laughs> as a nine seed too. Like, I don't know how they. Uh, I don't get it. But but this is you know they, they beat four to three times and it's like okay, but I watched you get boat raced by Marquette on the first day of the year like it was like you were a like you were a cupcake by game and that wasn't even when Marquette was very good like, I know I was yeah Marquette still hadn't hadn't shipped off three players to transfer yet like they were, <laughs> speaking they were, of which I think we've been talking for about an hour and so far I've seen two guys are leaving Nebraska uh, oh really? So we might get a th- we might get a hat trick by the end of the night. So wow, two just, guys since we started talking. That's impressive. Well, I think the other, I think the fu- the Fuller kid that was just a grad transfer, right? But oh uh, yeah, that's that's a huge loss. He played what zero minutes all year, right? Um, and then I think the Horn kid is leaving too. So Jerry Horn's leaving. Jerry Horn is leaving. Weren't they oh, super pumped up about there's, him? There's the sinking ship right there. Right? Weren't they super Jariah pumped Horn, up Jariah, about him? They were, they were excited about Jariah Horn. That's, that's don't a, let them fool you. That that's a no big deal on that one. Yeah, I'm gonna have that's to ask Jacob one. Padilla about that. Not that I really <laughs> care a ton, but um, wow. So, how awkward is it going to be with Northwestern when they win a game and Nebraska still hasn't won one yet? Is so, that, like, you mean, you mean like Nebraska still hanging out there, as in like not even close to winning their first game, but still yeah. the only team who hasn't done it yet? Yeah, I know right. that's gonna be interesting. Is it them in South Florida? And Northwestern is that the is that the triumvirate? Yeah, I don't know. I oh, thought. Well, yeah, I guess I, I guess I, Colorado just crashed their name off a couple of years ago, right? Hey, so, I'm watching the final. I'm watching the first four right now, and Clark Kellogg has his four dangerous teams that he's got circled. Who do you think his dangerous teams are? Oh my God! Not What's, Rhode Island. Breaking news. Not Rhode. Not Island. Ro- not Rhode Island. Uh, SMU. Iowa yeah, State. SMU, UNC. Williamson. Uh, Wilmington and. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast. People just want that Lob City back, man. They just love yeah. it. Are they Lob City still, or do they play like different? I don't know what they. No, do. I think they still get some dunks. I don't think yeah. it's Lob City like, but uh, Peyton's Lob City now, right? Apparently, what I loved was Justin Patton's body control in the second half of that Xavier game was probably as good as it's been on the offensive end since maybe that St. John's game at Carneseca Arena. Uh huh. Um. The one ball when Justin caught the pass, and it, he was going almost underneath the backboard, and it looked like he was headed out of bounds. And he somehow got some Spider Man type shit happening with his left hand to collect it, get it up on the glass, and get the ball in. Um, I think the guy next to me, who was a Xavier fan, was like, "Wow, NBA." I was like, "Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully not next year. I mean, unless he yeah. wants to do, but." But inevitable, though, right? But I mean, in like watching Tom Nimitz put the highlight reels together for all three games for New York today, they're available on whiteandbluereview.com today. Um, you know, Raftery, I miss – that's the only thing I don't like about being at those tournament games is you miss Gus and Raff and the play-by-play, which sometimes it can be a little much, whatever. But it is awesome <laughs> to hear a guy like Raftery gush about 
a kid like Patton and just talking about, you know, that's why he's – the first thing out of his mouth on one of those plays was, that's where he's going to get the big bucks. You know, I mean, it's just <laughs> – there's no bones about it, man. That kid's got – that's got – the kid's got elite, ta- elite oh, talent, man. elite skill. Yep. And yep. Uh, that's what, you know, to me, that's what this weekend represents is – if you can have an all-defensive Big East performer like Kyrie Thomas, you can have an all-Big East overall performer in Marcus Foster, and you can have the Big East freshman of the year and a future lottery pick in Justin Patton on the same team with all three guys, as far as we know, healthy, you got to win a game in the NCAA tournament. you got to. <clears throat> and I know it comes down to matchups and all that stuff, and, and the last month and a half, two months, hasn't gone exactly the way Creighton wanted it to go. But you know what? You can say that a lot. Of, uh, to a degree, you can say that about a lot of teams. And certainly more teams in the field. I'm thinking about, like, the kid blew out his Achilles tendon for Minnesota. You already mentioned Boucher uh, blowing out his ACL in the Pac-12 tournament. Guys, teams, they're just banged up, some more than others. But everybody's got excuses this time of year. Yep. And, you know, what we got are three really, really, really good players at their positions uh, that each do something pretty special. And I think we just need to to take advantage of that, uh, even though Rhode Island is destined to win the national championship. Yeah, I mean, if you can get past Rhode Island, the field really opens up for you. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, no, yeah, but, but I mean, I totally agree. Like, Rhode Island, you know, it's a that's a tough team. That's a good team for sure. But, I mean, you're in the NCAA tournament. You're going to face good teams. That's, what you're, that's why this field has been selected. So, I mean – but that's a winnable game for Creighton, and then certainly the Oregon one is going to have some emotion to it. But it's not going to have the same kind of emotion that the first – when they first did this nonsense um, back in the CBI or whatever that was. Uh, you know, that that that, had, that was a, that was one year removed from that. that. Was like, there were Creighton players who got recruited by Dana Allman. Like, this Creighton team has no idea what, what – you know, I, I bet you – I didn't do this, but I bet you if I went through – the whole entire roster and ask them if they've heard of Dana Allman. I guarantee they wouldn't think of him as the Creighton coach or the guy who did whatever, you know, maybe, maybe Kyrie and Justin would have an idea or, or some of the seniors would have an idea, but you know, I don't think Davion Mintz has any freaking clue <laughs> what David, what Dana Altman did for, uh, what Dana Altman did for Creighton. So if you're talking about like, you know, what he's going to feel going into the game, he's just going to be worried about, matching up with Oregon, like that's the only that's his only problem. You know, so it won't have the same He's just looking to get he's just it. looking to get on the court, Matt, at this point. So Well, yeah. Right. But it sounds like he had some good practice. So they're gonna yeah, need his they're gonna need his athleticism against Rhode Island. But pretty, they'll, I think they'll be all hands on deck this this weekend, pretty much. I think good. you'll see I think you'll see a little bit of everybody. Even though not even though some people don't want everybody, they'll they'll, they'll get it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tyler Clement hit a huge three. Oh my gosh, wasn't like, that just can, balls? I I don't care what everybody says. Like I'm just gonna go back to that highlight every time someone says like Tyler shouldn't be ever see the floor. Like that dude hit a money, big, like big cojones, big moment three pointer in front of his own bench. Yep. Like as and I watched the game again as Gus Johnson was saying he's not a threat to shoot the ball. Like he he got the ball on the left wing or the right wing. He's like Tyler Clement, not a deep, not a deep ball threat. Boom. And then he runs. Then he runs runs to the far corner and catches one. He goes, "Oh my god, I guess he is." Like, "Yep, I guess he is, Gus." 
I mean, let's be honest. That was a huge he's got three. A, he's got a quicker release than anybody on the team from three. Yeah. I mean, and that, he's a left-handed, left-handed stroke too. Like that ball was the, up quick. Right. Before I could even yell, "What the hell are you doing?" It had gone in. <laughs> I think that's the whole idea behind the quick release. Like, <laughs> you don't have time to tell them no. Like, right. oh, all right. Oh, okay, man. That works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my two sneaky plays of the weekend were that and then Isaiah's hilarious crossover where he finished and then stared into his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him about that today, too. I was like, what on earth were you thinking? And he's oh like, well, God. Steph does that thing where he gets real hot or whatever, and then he'll, like, look at his hand or whatever. And I was just like <laughs> – and I knew I had crossed up, blew it good, and I knew I finished it, and then I was kind of thinking of something to do, and so I just pulled out the step, stared at the hand real quick, because I knew there was a break, so, yeah, he because there was a pause there, like, he was clearly thinking of how to celebrate. Oh, that. yeah. Yeah, I just, just decided to go with the Steph Curry, stare at the hand thing, like, yeah, I did that, so <laughs> I was cracking up, though. That was great. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's get back to women's hoop here. here. I know you got a, a good long interview with Coach Flannery. Do you want to set yeah. this up before we hit hit play? Yeah. So the women's been the women's teams like had a they obviously had a week off from their tournament because uh, they started like maybe five days before the Big East tournament in Madison Square Garden. So um, you know they've done some they've had a few practices. I think they've had like about three or four, uh, maybe a skill workout day. Uh, they had another good session today against their boys' practice team, um, kind of for the last time before heading out. Uh, they're going to practice again tomorrow afternoon and then fly out right after that to get to Corvallis. Um, so, yeah, they're deep into preparation at this point. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, Flam likes where his team's at right now from a mental standpoint. Uh, I think he feels like they're pretty well-rested. Given that there's a you know week in between before they play again, but um, it sounds like everybody that you know needs to be having good practices um, is having are having good practices right now, and uh, yeah, just a few more days of prep for them. But yeah, they'll head out tomorrow afternoon and then kind of just break down the Toledo matchup with Flan a little bit in detail. You know, he's really great about he's you know he's the best. I mean, I mean, he gets his team ready to play from a film standpoint, like. There's not he doesn't go into he doesn't let his kids go in unprepared. Like there's never gonna be a Creighton women's basketball game. They might not shoot well. They might turn the ball over, you know, a lot of you know, might have a bad turnover game where they get, you know, worked a little bit. They won't always perform well, but they're gonna be prepared. Like he doesn't you know, film is a big part of what they do and the scout, like if you were to watch a flan practice, like the last maybe 15 minutes is all just him going through opposing sets. I mean, it's crazy how how detailed he is with getting his team ready to go. And it's the same way on the men's side, too. Like, they, you know, there's just more live action. His plans is more cerebral. But, you know, both teams are, like, deep into scouting reports. And um, so that's pretty much what this whole week has been like for both of those teams. It's just really detailed into what these teams run. I think the the thing about Toledo is it seems like they run a lot of sets, so it's hard to get, you know, a full grasp on what they're gonna face out there. But, you know, from a basic standpoint, uh, he'll have he'll have them ready, and that's what this, these couple days are about. So, we break down the Toledo matchup, we break down the regional matchup, the potential matchup with Oregon State, um, you know, and just kind of go over the season up to this point as we usually do. But Flan's always great with his time, so it's a pretty good interview. 
Okay, so with that, we'll go ahead and tee it up. This is Jim Flannery catching up with our own Matt DeMarinas on the Blue Jays Bites podcast, sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. Uh, joined here once again by uh, Creighton head women's basketball coach Jim Flannery. Um, probably the most popular guest on this podcast, right? I mean, you've been on more than... <laughs> I would hope so. Have you been on more than anybody, I think? I don't know. I think I, you're my most you'd... frequent guest. Uh, well, I'm, I'm always available. I know, because your door's always open. And I feel like <laughs> I can ask you and you'll always say yes. Um, yeah. But thanks for being on again. Yeah, my pleasure. Obviously, there's a little bit of an update. It feels like we've talked every week, but you guys are officially in the split tournament. Right. You're officially a seven seed. You're not going to Storrs, Connecticut. Uh, I mean, overall, just on those three things, it has to be a, you know, Perfect scenario for you, right? You thought the seed was pretty good. Didn't you avoid a UConn, all that sort of thing? Are you pretty yeah. happy with yeah. where, you, where you landed? Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, you're going to play good teams in the NCAA tournament, but if you don't have to play UConn until <laughs> yeah. ways down the road. Plus, just getting a seven seed, I think, got us. Toledo is obviously a good team. You don't make the NCAA tournament if you're not a good team, but I think they maybe got bumped up a um, one because from what I read, they were maybe an 11 and got bumped to a 10 based on some procedural things. So, um you know, I think I think it's a it's a, probably a best case scenario. And you know, the difficult thing is just waiting for a week. I mean, yeah. I I was saying I can't imagine like the teams that finish their conference tournament. You know, in women's basketball, so many of the t- uh, power conference leagues play their conference tournament um, that week before, and so you might be done on a Thursday, and you got to wait uh, eleven days till that following mo- week from Monday to figure out if you're in, where you're going, and and we had to wait seven days, which is, seemed long, but uh, you know, it was just it was it was nice. It was nice for the kids to get to go home for a few days. We brought them back on Saturday, uh, practiced Saturday late afternoon, Sunday early afternoon, and gave them Monday off, and then uh, had our selection show last night. So Jackson's pretty excited, yeah. Yeah, he, Jackson. He's close to Eugene, or yeah. he's close enough to the Nike store where he's—that's on his list of things to do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what I don't know what how he decided that Oregon was his second favorite college team not too long ago, but I think it's because one his favorite color is green. Okay. If it's if it's not blue, it's green. Sure. And, and they're obviously uh, about as green as you can get and, mm-hmm. and they're on television a lot and they're they're a brand name so I don't know that he knows really anything about Oregon other than that they're the Ducks and that they're they're good in men's basketball but uh, um, anyway I it's think it's flashy enough for him to yeah notice. they're flashy yeah, enough yeah. Uh, so it'll, it'll be it'll be a good trip I think we're flying into Eugene um, which is you know only 30 or 40 minutes from Corvallis so yeah, off subject a little bit here do you talk to Dana anymore at all not really. I mean, I haven't, you know, I've, uh, his wife was back a while back. and For the Hall of Fame thing? Yeah, and I talked to her. Um, I'm trying to think the last time I talked to Dana. and um, You know, and Kevin McKenna was a, sure. was, a, was a friend of mine, too. Kevin actually played, Coach Allman only played noon ball for a couple of years, and then he pulled his hamstring, and that was the last, <laughs> that was the last we saw of him. But, yeah. uh, you know, back in the day, Kevin McKenna played, and, and so I've known Kevin for a while, and he's been on Dana's staff uh, I think maybe his entire time at Oregon. Yeah. Positive. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's, you know, I've got some good memories of Coach Altman and, um, you know, just some, he's, he's, a, he's, you know, he's old school. He's, he's, he reminds me a lot of Coach Service. They're just, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of straight plow forward, straight ahead, 
you know, and, uh, but, uh, you know, I learned a lot from him too. I mean, I'd occasionally go in there and ask him, what, what do you think I should do here? What do you, what do you guys do? And, and so, and then just to follow, follow what he's done in Oregon has been uh, really impressive. So no food recommendations yet from McKenna or? No, I haven't, yeah. haven't gotten anything yet, but I do know we're, I think we're going to eat in Eugene before we get to Corvallis. Oh, there you go. Um, so. Maybe you'll bring some on Saturday if they lose <laughs> early or something. Yeah. Um, just a, a little bit on Toledo. Obviously, you have a history with their head coach. Mm-hmm. You used to coach at Evansville. Um, what do you know about the, you know, the style of play and potentially some of the individual matchups they have um, that stand out to you on film? Sure. Yeah, I know it's been only a day. But yeah, but but you got to get after it because you don't. You know, it's 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 so different than the last twenty games where you even even you know. When you first go into the conference season, you know you're comparing okay Butler and Xavier to where where they were last year. Yeah. So you've got so many frames of reference with with a new a completely new team. You have very little frame of reference, and so it's all new. And um, they're balanced. I mean, I think they've got a good inside outside balance. They can they can throw the ball inside and score. They can score on the offensive glass. They're physical that way. Uh, they've got a, you know they've got. In their starting lineup, two two kids that can shoot it, and then they bring some kids off the bench who can shoot it. Their point guard doesn't is is a good player, but isn't a three point shooter. Um, and then defensively, they're they're disruptive, they, they and, and physical. They'll foul a decent amount, but they also, I'd say, they're reasonably, um, you know, they get out and 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 uh, take some passes away and kind of try to push you out. And um, so. Uh, it's you know there's there's a lot of challenges and they're, and they're pretty complicated on, on offense especially oh, really? and that was kind of Trisha's um, you know Trisha's mo at Evansville they were always hard to prepare for because they ran a ton of things and you know so you kind of have to you kind of have to break it down and be a little more conceptual because you can't walk through everything everything and you don't want to you don't want your kids out there thinking you want them out there playing um, you want them out there thinking too but you yeah. want them to, you want them reacting. Um, and playing rather than and thinking too much, um, but uh, you know they've got a little. I don't know. They they remind me of Xavier in terms of their of their balance. In terms of they want to throw in the post, but they've got good perimeter players and they shoot it well enough. And and uh, defensively, they they they'll be scout prepared. Um, and then they remind me a little bit of St. John's from the standpoint that you can you know they've got a good point guard, but she's not a three point shooter. Um, and then their five players are non, not range five, so we'll need okay. to, we'll need to, you know, they, they can put four shooters on the floor, but they very, very seldomly can put a fifth, and once in a while they'll even put two uh, non-range players on the floor. So, I don't know, you, you try to give your kids references, okay, this is how we played against St. John's, this, we'll do that, that against these guys, and this is, this is what, you know, you'll reference certain things with, uh, with regard to Xavier, I think, in terms of, but those are, they're kind of, a, I don't know, in my mind, they're kind of a synthesis of those two teams. So from, a, from, from your perspective, considering how, you, how they seem to break down and what their strengths are, do you see your small lineup being one that might have some success here this weekend? Or? Yeah, I think our small lineup can be successful for sure. I think it's, you know, I think the one thing that you see when you, I mean, because I've already, you know, I'm a, Absolutely not looking past Toledo, but I've sure. already looked at some Oregon State, and I think the one thing that 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 we have that that can be really beneficial in the NCAA tournament is the the ability to to do things with a stretch four player, and the the, the the difficulty that a lot of post players have defending off the ball against 
Audrey and Jalen type players, and I think that's that will be definitely a key if we get, if we get to play Oregon State, um, assuming we both win. Um, but I think it's I think it's big against Toledo. I think they're they've got a really good four player, um, but she's a bigger kid, and, and I think she can guard on the ball. But you know, but I think off the ball, if we if we if we do a good job of screening for Audrey and Jalen, and they and they're moving really well, I think the, the, that'll be the matchup that gives them the the most difficulty. This is is it a possibility to throw even Sydney a look at the four and have her play off point guard some? Or I mean, yeah, yeah, I think because you because you talked about in the Big East tournament how you were setting a lot of flares for Audrey and Jalen, yeah. but obviously Sydney had a great tournament yeah. too. Is she a potential player that could come off screens for you? Or sure, sure, and 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 you know to your point, like when we go small, we're gonna have we're gonna have two good matchups on offense. Yeah. If not, you know the issue will be can we can we defend the post as well as we can with a five, and can we defensive rebound? Because um, they are a good offensive rebounding team. Um, uh, you know, and, and we can't do that for too long because then we, you know, we get a little tired, and then, yeah. and then, the, and then the defensive rebounding and the post-defense becomes a bigger issue, I think, when we get tired. Toledo's a deep team. They'll play. I mean, they're, 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 they're one, two, three, four, one, two, three, and four starters. Uh, play, play quite a few minutes, but, but they'll play – They'll play as many as 11 kids, you know, but they'll play a lot of them between eight and, you know, a lot of them between eight and 12. So, um, but, they, but, but they're, I mean, they're certainly probably a little deeper than we are. Sydney Lambert had, you know, she obviously got all tournament team, but I mean, she had a career game against Marquette, practically single-handedly, you know, yeah. kept you competitive in that. Um, and it's funny, when she first got here, I, like there were a lot of comparisons to Mackenzie Fuyan as far as maybe what she could potentially, the player she could try and kind of turn into. Yeah. And Mackenzie had a really good semifinal game kind of breakout before the NCAA tournament, and she had a really yeah. good NCAA tournament game. Can, can that correlate, even though there's a big gap between your semifinal game and when you play next, yeah. can Sydney carry over an aggressive game like that where she's really a focal point of the offense, really being aggressive with her shot? Can she, you know turn the switch back on right away as soon as the ball's tipped in the air? Sure, I hope so. I mean, that's been – I tell you what, she's practiced great. Like, I, I feel like – like I said, we took we took yesterday off, but uh, between Saturday, Sunday, and today again, I think she was our best player um, offensively, uh, all, all three of those practices probably. And, mm-hmm. You know, and she didn't – she didn't, today she didn't even shoot the three very well, but I just like – I like uh, how, she's, how she's coming off a ball screen and – and trying to trying to keep her dribble and make a play going to the rim and playing with just kind of the right amount. You know, she's always been good playing with patience, but sometimes she's a little more likely to be, you know, too patient. And I feel like she's really done a good job of of attacking. And I think it's directly correlated to the confidence she got. Uh, first of all, she played well late in the year. Yes. I mean, she's not, you know, she had a couple games where she wasn't as good, but she played well in general the last eight or nine games, and then what she did in the conference tournament, I thought, just kind of elevated her confidence, and she's practiced really well. Now, you hope she gets off to a good start, but she's also going to be on the floor enough that at some point we're going to, you know, if she does, doesn't get off to a great start, we'll put the ball in her hands and, and, and try to get her going, I think, unless, unless everybody else is clicking. On the flip side, um, Marissa was somebody who kind of felt really bad after Milwaukee. I mean, she felt like she kind of let you guys down. What is what are you seeing out of her different? I mean, does she look like she's kind of shaking that off a little bit? Because 
it looked like she was kind of having a hard time yeah. dealing with what she gave you the Milwaukee and couldn't figure out yeah. why she, she just couldn't yeah. pull the trigger right. Yeah, she she for sure struggled. I think she was she got in her head, own head, which you know that happens to players, especially yeah. in in tournament time. And I you know I think she you know watching the film again of the Marquette game, I think she played a little better against Marquette than she played against Butler, mm-hmm. um, and probably a little better than I thought she did after watching the film. But um, you know, so part of it was I just felt like she wasn't you know I didn't play her as much because I just felt like she wasn't very confident. Um, and then you know, in terms of coming back, I thought she was. I thought she was. She wasn't. She wasn't as good as she needed to be on Saturday. But uh, Sunday and today, she's been much, much better. And I thought, you know, I thought, uh, you know, made a good, you know, kind of realized what we needed from her um, after after Saturday's practice. But I thought she kind of, you know, that, and that's human nature. Is I felt like she was down on herself and not confident on Saturday. And I talked to her a little bit before practice on Sunday. And I felt like she she got going, and then I thought she was good today. So I, I, I'm happy that she, you know, kind of has hopefully sw- flipped that switch. But just you know, I showed her just a couple clips on film where, you know, I said, Marissa, you you can still do more without shooting the ball well. Like yeah. I mean, we hope you make more threes, and we need you to still shoot wide open threes. But you got to be you got to be a little better cutting with purpose, because I think you know I think sometimes she just She's in such good shape, and she's so used to moving that she's she can get a little bit just cut happy without being purposeful about her cutting. Mm-hmm. And then I said, you can, you can do a better job in the offensive glass. I said, you know, that's a way for somebody who's struggling to get an extra extra basket that maybe the next – so if you get a layup off an offensive rebound or you help your team off an offensive rebound, you, you know, maybe you feel better about the next time you get an open look. And I think those are two areas where I think she can – she can focus and, and not worry about, am I making shots? Because those are things she can control. This is probably a better end-of-the-year question, but I'm just going to see what you think about it right now. Given what you guys accomplished and what you went through injury-wise, I'm not going to ask if this is the best team you've ever coached, but do you think there's a team, a group of girls that you coached that could have accomplished what they accomplished through the adversity uh, you know, because yeah. you guys have a lot of experience, a lot of game experience, even though it's not necessarily senior laden, but you also have a senior class that's been through a lot, and you had good leadership even from the players who got hurt. Do you feel like this is a unique group and what they were able to accomplish despite what they also went through? I mean, because yeah. it kind of could have derailed a little bit there, For uh, sure. you know, going into conference play. For sure. And I've, I, I mean, and I've talked about this publicly and to the team. It's like it's, it, everybody has to contribute to that. It's, it's so easy to to get senior sentimental mm-hmm. at the end of a year, especially when you've got a good a good and a bigger group of seniors. But I said, you know, you you leadership doesn't mean as much if you don't have buy-in from the rest of the team. And I think the buy-in's been great. We've got we've got walk-on or we've got a walk-on Amy Richard who plays her tail off in practice every day, and we've got two two red shirts, Brooke and and Olivia, who who help us in practice every day. And Liv's mm-hmm. gotten way better, and Brooke. You know, I didn't see Brooke last year, but Brooke competes every day and makes us better. And then the injured kids, you know, MC and Jade and, and Allie um, have done a good job of not being a distraction. They've, they've, you know, they haven't, they haven't thrown pity parties for themselves and, and been, you know, less than emotional in games or in situations where they needed to help us with it from an emotional standpoint. They've been good, and MC's been fantastic in that area. I think yeah. she's been such a great leader in the locker room and with with 
younger players and older players. And so I think everybody's, it sounds stupid, but everybody's rowing the boat the same direction. And, sure. then, and then I think the other, you know, two other things. One, we've got the experience to defend well every night. We, do, we really, and, and, the, and the personnel. I mean, Marissa, Sydney, Jalen Audrey, Lauren Bree, they, those, guys, those guys have been around and they know, you know, they can, they can put together what they need to do on a scouting report. And, mm-hmm. then, and then the other, the final kind of piece is I think we've just, we've, we've become less reliant on the three, which I think, I think that's a big part of why we got to 16-2 and two in the league. Because I think in the past, we've always been able to beat good teams when we've made 11 or 12 threes. Right. <laughs> right. But we can beat good teams now without doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a function, I think, of two things. One, Bree gives us a, a, the ability to throw the ball. Even if she can't score with her back to the basket, she can score on pick and roll. She yeah. can score off a ball screen and a roll, and our players like are comfortable throwing it to her. And then the second thing is that is because we've got bigger wing players, because we've got Sydney, Jalen, and Audrey, who can get baskets going off cuts to the off cuts to the rim or off the dribble to the basket. You know, we just have we just have more ways to to win a game when we don't shoot the three well. I mean, St. John's we were three for nineteen, I think, yeah. at the end of the year, and one and I've other games where we've been St. John's shooting that right and 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 so I think that's been I I don't think I don't I think that's why this team won 16 league games when when other teams maybe on 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 the surface were comparable but they probably couldn't achieve the consistency offensively because we were we've always been reliant more reliant on the three than this team probably is um the last one I want to get you out of here on is you got three big East teams in the field, which is great. It seemed like DePaul got yeah. a tough one. How did they did, – I mean, in your mind, did you see them as a seven seed at all? Like, yeah. No. I mean, they've been, I mean the strength of schedule was 39. The RPI is in the top 20. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I guess, you know, maybe they had to beat UConn, I guess. I don't yeah. know what they could have done there. But, yeah. I mean, to get a seven seed in Starkville, yeah. that seemed like yeah. they kind of got shattered. Yeah, I think they I, – I think they – I was disappointed – uh, in their seed, I think they earned a high. You know, yeah. no offense to Marquette, but Marquette. That was the other you know, one. Marquette, five. Marquette did beat them three times, but right. but DePaul won the league by three DePaul games. and us won the league by three games. Uh, DePaul had, you know, a higher RPI by ten or eleven or twelve or whatever it was. I just can't I can't see the justification in them being a seven. But I I do know that Doug's team will not. Uh, they'll go fight, and they'll they'll be a tough out. Even, you know, if they get through Northern Iowa to, to for Mississippi State, because they've they've been in the Sweet 16 two of the last three years as a six and a seven, and so being a seven will not phase them. They will not they will not be in awe, of, you know, or they won't they'll respect Mississippi State if they get there, but they won't they'll and and they're such a unique style, which I think yeah. I think makes them makes them tough to prepare for in. In a short period of time, which I think is a big part of, if you look at how a six and a seven, well, you've only got one day to prepare for them. You know, if you're the, if you're that two or the three, you've only got one day to prepare for them, and you know, and and I think that's tough, and it's, especially if you're the two, you know, you're you have to scout both teams. You can't just be like, ah, I'm right. gonna I'm gonna assume the Paul's gonna win. Well, they're playing the ten. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're the if you're the seven and the ten, you pretty much know who you're probably going to be playing in the second round. <laughs> right. Uh, on, the flip side, on the flip side of DePaul, they're playing a team, uh, Northern Iowa. I mean, Tanya played here, coached under you. 
And it seemed like they were maybe on the outside looking in and maybe were one of the last teams. I mean, you guys went through that in, yeah. in uh, 2012, 20, or 2013. 2012, 2013, right? Was that the, yeah. That was the year you guys yeah. had to wait it out? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, what was your reaction to seeing them get in despite, you know, maybe them right. thinking they probably were in trouble after sure. um, dropping to the final well, game? Well, yeah, I was, I was super happy for them because uh, Tanya's a friend of mine and their staff is – you know, we get along really well with their staff, and um, I know they had a, a, a great year. But I, I, yeah, to be honest, I didn't think they'd get in. And mm -hmm. a couple of them were, you know, Tanya and Adam, one of the assistants, was texting me saying, "What do you think? What do you think?" And I was trying to be positive, but I, I, I did not think they'd get in based on they didn't, you know, they didn't have another top hundred team in their league other right. than Drake, and right. so they went. They they didn't have a top hundred win since before Christmas, and I just thought that would, I thought that would be their 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 downfall would be that that, that and, and just the fact that the valley didn't have another one or two other top hundred teams and um, you know I think it helped them that they their they played their conference tournament that the last weekend and that game was on TV and I heard people say that you know that, that, that they played really you know I didn't see the game but I heard they played really well and and I think you know committee members are charged with watching games so I have to think that that had something to do with it because I think if you look on surface and say, well, they hadn't they hadn't beaten a top hundred team on the road and they hadn't won a top hundred game since before Christmas, it had to be. So the numbers and the metrics necessarily weren't there, but if you turned on the game and you said, gosh, that's a really good basketball team, that probably was enough to tilt it uh, in their favor. Thanks uh, for the time, as always, and your business preparing for this team, but. Uh... Yeah, it's good to see you back in this way tournament. It's good to see the offices like louder, everybody's yeah. celebrating a little bit more. Yeah. Um, hope you guys can at least play one more weekend. But yeah, it's exhilarating not, it's and tiring season. at the same time. I said I thought that to myself. Like, you're 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 really pumped up, and you got so much to do that you. But but it, you wouldn't trade it for you know. I said this is a heck of a lot better than we're making plans to go watch games on Thursday at noon. Yeah. Because. That's what you do Thursday at noon on, you know, on the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Yep. She always made time, even when you guys were, after the 0-2 weekend and losing to Wichita and South Dakota State, you always made time, made time for your wins, yeah. made time now, so I always appreciate it. Thanks yeah. a lot. Thank you, Matt. Good luck this weekend. Okay. Safe travels. Yep, sounds good. Thanks for taking the time, Matt, to catch up with Coach Flannery. Always um, really informative, like you said. He breaks stuff down extremely well, so, and he is, he's very generous with his time. Uh, for us and for other outlets so um, really great interview and I'm you know I know you are too but um, just really excited to watch the women play this weekend because mm -hmm. they've they do everything right and they've built um, they've got just a lot of really good talent on that team and it, it's gonna be nice to even though the game is only on ESPN local um, broadcast and everybody else has to catch it on ESPN 3 uh, it's going to be great for people to get exposed outside of you know the Big East to to what Flan's team can do. So hopefully mm -hmm. they can pick up a dub against uh, <coughs> Toledo and 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 play further on in the weekend. But uh, this is an intense week, man. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm sitting here. Yeah, watching. you pumped up. Yeah, you know, I'm like I'm the madness taking over. I'm tired, uh, but the madness has taken over for. For basketball junkies like you and me, when you've got teams involved here, this is when it starts to all 
feel great. So, you know, I'm sitting here at watching. At this point, it. at this point, I'm just delaying my inevitable trips to TD Ameritrade Park is all I'm doing. Because I got asked that question today because I'm not going to Sacramento or Corvallis. So then they were like, oh, are you going to come cover Creighton Baseball this weekend? They're playing at home against a four-gamer against Utah Valley. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, uh, are you going to play at home or are you just going <laughs> to cancel the games again? Which I'm fine with. I mean, you can't lose a game you're not playing. Exactly. So, I mean, like, I'm excited. I'm excited for baseball season, but I'm not. I'm not ready for it. If you, if that, if that makes any sense, like, I'm ready for warm weather and baseball, but I'm not. Like, I'm not done with basketball yet. So let's let, let you know keep this rolling. A let's little keep bit it longer. rolling, man. Uh, let's winter stays right. That's winter not, stays. That's, that's what's on all the Lawler's t-shirts and all the other all the other gear, right? That's the Nike deal this year. Winter stays. Yep. Okay, so winter stays. Um, I think the Jays are going to win on Friday. I really do. And I hope the winter stays. I hope they stick around for a while. But regardless, you know, we'll we'll be back on the air um, as soon as we've got some uh, as soon as we got something to talk about. It's going to be yeah. kind of a weird little dead period here the next two days where people will just be watching all these other games. I'm watching Kansas State and Wake Forest right now in the first four and. The first four, the first first four game came down to the last possession. This one looks like it's shaping up to do the same thing too. So, again, you gotta hope these games are close. Hope these games are good, and hope that the Jays blow out the presumed uh, Sweet Sixteen participant Rhode Island Rams here on Friday afternoon. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Should be good <coughs> for sure. March Madness, baby. Let's do it. Let's do it. So. First, before we sign off, I want to give some some love again to Lawler's Custom Sportswear. Um, you know, really appreciate all of their support this season. It was nice to see people walk around New York City, uh, you'd, uh, wearing some Jays gear and stuff, and and then certainly in the team hotel and the send offs and stuff. That's a great time, and people are mm-hmm. all decked out in blue. But really sticks out when you're walking down like Sixth Avenue and and you see somebody rocking <laughs> some Jays gear. Nice. Um, so that's been great. So we really appreciate everything that Lawlers is, has done for us, and look forward to <coughs> thank uh, you, Lawlers. Thank you, Lawlers. Look forward. Literally, to... thank you, Lawlers, because the other night, like at this women's selection show, I forgot my recorder in the arena, and so I had to come in through the side door, or whatever. But it was locked, and the Lawlers guy let me in. He happened to be right there. So literally, thank you, Lawlers, for letting the man, me in. man of the man of the people, man. They're just yeah. they're good folks down there. So. Um, yeah, so with that, I think we should wrap up, let, let folks, uh, have, have some more time back in their lives to watch some hoops and, and we'll catch up with people here, hopefully after a Jays dub on Friday and then another Jays dub on Friday night. <laughs> so for Matt DeMoranis, I am Brian Dot signing off for this edition of the Blue Jays Bites podcast with a happy March madness and a hearty go Jays.